Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment, think healthcare provision during a pandemic, think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, I speak to Stina Erinschwart. Stina, along with her husband, co-founded Ubico, the company behind YubiKeys, the hugely successful authentication devices. After striking its first deal with Google in 2011, Ubico's technology now protects more than 10 million users. In the interview, Stina discusses how YubiKeys have helped human rights organisations and other non-profits, and she gives us the inside track on her 2015 meeting with President Obama. But first, I ask Stina about her personal mission in the field of online security. So the first time I logged on to the internet, I, I, I had some, some sort of almost spiritual experience where I realized this is a place where we're all connected, where we all can get all of this information and we are one. And then when I learned through internet security experts that this, this beautiful experience is basically you know it's so vulnerable it was never designed for for security it was designed for sharing it was designed by researchers in europe (laughs) to share information with other you know researchers and today we it's only 30 years ago we uh you know we sit on it we are here like everything is here we moved our our you know governments our businesses our financial systems our healthcare systems everything and we have not thought about security and this is one of, you know, I, I mean, if you look at all the problems we have on the, in the world right now, you know, okay, you know, COVID, climate, you know, crisis, you know, environment, but that was, you know, somewhere on that t- top 10 list is internet security. And uh, when I realized that this was a real problem, I just felt the calling, literally a calling, like, okay. And the reason I, I, I thought I was the right person to help build a more secure internet was not because of my skill set. It's actually was the team I had around me. And at the time, um, I had married an internet security expert who said it would only take him one day to empty my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I realized, oh God, I, I, um, I, I think I'm... I have, you know, I have some kind of expertise here that I can build on. And I have a background in product design. And uh, and I started asking my husband, like, okay, what, what can you not hack? And, you know, from that question, you know, the product that we developed, but actually also become a, a global standard. The global standard is the bigger mission. Um, uh, and this is 15 years ago. So we're a late bloomer it took some time to get there but okay no fascinating stuff and that's a nice kind of segue into my next question for the for the benefit of the listeners stina tell us about ubico what does ubico do and how has it become successful so the first question that i asked my husband why could he hide my bank account he said uh, because it's all software uh the bank had given me a, a software certificate that i downloaded on my phone 
uh, on my computer and uh, a username and password. And we all know that username and passwords are no longer secure. And a software that you download on your phone phone is apparently not secure either. <laughs> and then I said, what is more secure? And he, Jacob, my husband, said it's uh, either a smart card um, or some you know, versions of bank authentication tokens. But they were never designed for the web. They were never designed for mobile. And you have one key to one service. It's or you have to go through, through some kind of single sign-on service in order for this to work on many places. And, and then my husband said, that's not gonna work. <laughs> and I just got fascinated with this question and we dig it into, and eventually we developed something we call the Ubiki. It's a little USB key. You can tap it against your phone or plug it in your computer and it has both USB-A and USB-C contact. And with this, a uh, product we uh, we started a company called Ubico, and uh, eventually we got Google as a customer, and that's when we wrote the business plan to move to California from Stockholm, and not only convince Google but all the leading platforms and browsers on not only the making support for this product but enable a new protocol that would enable an a authenticator like our YubiKey to work across any number of services. So I can log into my bank, to my Facebook, to my, my Google email or my corporate applications uh, or my government service. I can pay my taxes or, you know, all of that with the same key and, and it would never be able to be hacked. And we came up, actually we came up, the first YubiKey had a set of security features, but together with these, uh, major platforms and browsers that we worked with here in Silicon Valley, we came up with a, a new set of security features. Uh, that, and since it has been deployed uh, here, here um, you know, with, the, with the largest tech you know, companies on the planet, we have seen zero account takeovers. And it, worked, it was really, really fast. And I think actually the security is one aspect, but it's easy is the most important aspect because we're never going to be successful if it's too complicated. People are not going to do something. So the, the way we, we actually uh, you know, develop this protocol is once you set it up with your computer or your phone, you don't have to use it anymore. But that's not the scalable part. The scalable part is now when this standard is integrating into all leading platforms and browsers in other devices, directly into computers, directly into phones. It's an amazing story, Stina, and it's the simplicity that really strikes me, like the simplicity of this technology and, and how successful it's been. Obviously, the world of cybersecurity is very kind of complex, you tend to think. And, and you know, why, why do you think this very, what appears to be a kind of very simple solution has been so successful? Do you, can, can, you put, can you put your finger on that? Our strategy was very risky. When I moved to California, uh, I had some early, you know, early team members and an angel investor who basically said, what, what are you trying to do? Because <laughs> like, you know, the plan was, okay, who, who are all the users are in the world? I mean, all of us, I mean, face it, we are all using five companies or seven or 10 companies on the planet. We're using Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, you know, a few more. And if we can, the, my strategy was if, if we can work with these companies, understand their security needs and 
get our product and the standard supported in all these browsers, then we will work out of the box with the, these services and these, these companies and their products, their phones, their computers. And that was basically the secret <laughs> because when it just works, when you just, you know, you don't have to download a phone, you don't have to bring it up every time. <clears throat> you go into these pages and it says, hey, sign up your key. I think that is the secret, you know, working with the most influential internet thought leaders that unfortunately, this is how scary it is today, but they define our internet today. Hello, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. And if you want more, you can head over to techforgood.net for some compelling and thought-provoking stories. From high-tech insect farms that could solve world hunger to a global mission to counter the spread of COVID-19 disinformation, we've got Tech for Good covered. You can read and subscribe at techforgood.net. I know you, in 2015, you had the opportunity to talk about your technology and the potential of your technology with the, the then sitting US President Barack Obama. What did you talk about? It was actually a really uh, strange moment in my life because I can share with you, I don't live very far from Stanford University where, and this was the venue that hosted a, a conference with the, uh, at the time, uh, the White House had actually come down from Washington DC to uh, Stanford and they were hosting a big internet security event where they invited some of the innovators here in, in Bay Area and Silicon Valley to discuss the threat of internet security and you know, projects that we were, you know, some of us were working on. And I, I was very fortunate to be invited. And Stanford is just a, you know, a few kilometers from where I live, honestly. So I took my bike <laughs> and I was just parking my bike outside the, the, the big venue at Stanford when I got a message on my phone. The president wants to meet you and i almost dropped my bike you know it's just one of those funny moments where well anyway then you know some security guard came and you know we looked in my bag and like okay before you can meet him you have to go through some kind of very advanced press process and i said why didn't you tell me in advance and they he said they will never tell you in advance because you know i shouldn't <laughs> i could be a security threat myself anyway i got a few minutes and and i i walked in and uh, I had no idea what I, you know, what it was all about. So I just, you know, took my pitch, you know, and I said, my company is working on new open authentication standards that are aiming to protect all internet citizens, including 300 million Americans to be safe online. And he smiled and said, I know that's why you're here. So, uh, and then I said, so how can you help? And he uh, said that his team would follow up with me. And then I said, I think you are a really cool president. President Obama was a very cool president. Uh, you know, this is my personal, my personal, you know. I can't say that every president on the planet has been cool, but he has some, he has some cool cool factor around him. Yeah, it's actually a fun story. Because then I was, uh, this is how, how the world, sometimes things are super serious. This, this whole internet security world is very scary. Uh, and fairly dry, and you know, and I then a week later got a, an email from the security advisor from the White House that 
invited me up to the to meet with uh, to meet with them at the White House, not with President Obama again, but with his internet security advisors to him. And I got up there and <laughs> made a mistake, which is by myself sort of funny, because I realized that I had not gone through that uh, ID verification process that you need to do in order to get into the, to the White House. And uh, so a few hours before the meeting, they said I, that I couldn't come in. And I was like, oh, I, I missed this fantastic opportunity. <laughs> and then they said, well, we can come out to you. And I said, where? Well, there is a Starbucks two blocks from from the White House. <laughs> Can we meet there? And it was just this one sort of surrealistic moments where I was sitting in this little Starbucks with two very, you know, serious guys with gray suits. And we were talking about the future of online identity. And it was a very crowded Starbucks with all people coming and going. And we had this little corner trying to squeeze in. But, you know, eventually, it actually started, a really good dialogue started with NIST, uh, which was the, 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 it's an open standards body here in the U.S. that drives open standards. And we eventually, you know, were, were encouraged to get a, a, a grant to how could you develop a, a new online internet identity citizen sort of project <laughs> where, where Americans could use this technology to log into to government services. So that basically was a, it was a feel good story. You asked, you know, what did we talk about? Well, we didn't talk very long, but the story, you know, is long. <laughs> no, and, and and the kind of subsequent activities of your organization, you know, you've done a lot of work in the in the political area and, and, and that side of it. So it's obviously had a, a big impact for you guys. That brings us nicely on to Yubico's recent efforts with Microsoft and the Account Guard program. Do you mind talking a bit about that program? Yes, uh, it started actually with last year, uh, a, an organization was set up that was called Defend, Defending Digital Campaigns here in the US. And um, Microsoft Account Guard was one of the partners. So it was several tech partners and internet security companies who were working together with this organization that was set up. And it was set up after Hillary Clinton was, his, her email was fished, which may have changed the political area, area here in the US. And, and then members of the tech community here in US, including Microsoft and Microsoft Account Guard, set up like, hey, this shouldn't happen again. So all the services that election campaigns, the most common services that are used, their email systems should be able, you know, the tech company wanted to protect, um, wanted to um, offer protection. And when then we were invited to be one of the partners and uh, UBKs was used um, together with Account Guard and together with other um, uh, online systems like Google G Suite and, uh, and Amazon systems uh, to protect the US election campaign in 2020. And we continue now, together with Account Guard, to, to so we just extended our partnership with Account Guard to, and we donate keys to election campaigns. We donated keys to this election campaign. We continue to donate keys to um, now election campaigns in 30 countries. And um, the last few years, we did not only donate keys to election campaigns, we also donated keys to um, human rights organization. Uh, freedom of the press that helped to educate and protect 
journalists who are at risk. Uh, we have donated keys to, um, or other sort of organizations that work for a free open internet. That, And uh, the most powerful sort of feedback that we've got, except sort of being able to help protect the election campaign, was actually a journalist from a non-democratic country who sent an email to us. And he had set up a, a key with his, his email systems. And uh, some of his co-workers had not. And uh, he wrote uh, an email with a headline saying, thank you for saving my life. And that was a, that was also a, that was a moment where I realized like, this is not just building a company on a standard. This is, this is about protecting, you know, the, the world at large, uh, because this guy's coworkers are no longer alive. How big a part now is that kind of thing to your to your mission as a company? Because obviously you're a business, as you say, but do you feel like you have a greater kind of purpose to try and tackle some of those issues there that you talked about? I mean, this whole company started with how can we help protect you know this beautiful human experience, and then as 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 the company evolved, and fortunately, you know, we got more financial resources and more customers. We could we had the luxury because not all companies have that to donate. You know, because we were, you know, we were making profits and we were growing. And so we said part of today now, and this year we're giving away 30,000 keys, more than 30,000 keys. You know, maybe 30, I think, like, I don't know. We're giving away several thousand every month, which is then we take from our profits and give to, to election campaigns, to journalists, to organizations that works for the larger security. I mean, we work on internet security, but if we have no free speech, if we don't have democracy, if we don't have you know, a free open internet, I honestly don't believe that the whole work we are doing with internet security will have a lot of impact. So I feel right now that if we, our mission is to provide internet security, we also have to you know, do what we can to, to protect these very valuable and very vulnerable, uh, you know, I would say because you can't take the, either democracy or free speech or human rights for granted anymore. You know, a few years ago, I, I was more confident that the world was going in the right direction. I, I actually am concerned um, where some of these conversations are going today. So I, I, you know, whatever we can do now. Do you want to keep up to date with the latest in enterprise, technology, and digital transformation? Visit digitalbulletin.com for news, long reads, thought leadership, and so much more. That's digitalbulletin.com. Does your work with the, the big tech companies also give you maybe some encouragement in that area? I know you've, you mentioned Google before, you've, you work with Facebook. Talk a bit about your work with those companies and exactly what that entails. I think they all have programs. I mean, Google has an advanced protection program. Microsoft have Microsoft Account Guard. I mean, I, I believe that most of the tech companies today are realizing the power, um, the responsibility they have in the world. They're more powerful. The, the combined um, value of five tech companies on the planet. This is what I heard that, you know, I haven't got it verified, but you know, something like five or 10, maybe it's up to 10 companies, is more worth than all of European, you know, 
you know, all of European assets. I mean, it's like, these are just crazy amount of value in terms of, you know, it's, and money and, and power. <laughs> so I honestly believe that the tech companies must take responsibility. They are taking responsibility, but they also have a challenge, especially the companies who, who live on, on collecting data, because that is being misused <laughs> for non-democratic forces and for powerful financial forces <laughs> and for, you know, you know, manipulating people with false data. So I, I think the, the, the tech companies actually are in a, a very interesting time where they have all this power, but they actually are sitting with a responsibility I don't think they were prepared for. <laughs> and the world is definitely not prepared for, for it. Uh, so um, we'll see. You mentioned the, the kind of global standard that really seems to be your kind of personal drive at the moment to try and get that message through and develop a kind of open global standard around internet security. Maybe talk a bit more about that, where we're kind of at with that at the moment and your hope for the future. So it started with Yubico presenting the basic concept of the YubiKey and this idea of one key to any number of services for Google in 2011. Um, and in 2012, uh, we signed a partnership to develop that into a, the first sort of set of users with 100,000 users inside Google who, um, no, actually it wasn't, Google didn't have 100,000 people at the time, but we made 100,000 keys for Google. And then eventually with that, when that was such a successful pilot in, with all Google employees, uh, we contributed the standard to an organization called FIDO Alliance. And FIDO Alliance was to, at the time, you know, a handful, you know, maybe a dozen companies um, with, you know, tech, financial um, device companies. And today it's hundreds of companies around the world uh, with the biggest platforms and browsers and, and financial services are actually backing it. Um, uh, once I was in Fido Alliance, you know, it was, it's been a long and interesting journey to get a lot of companies on board and, and the, being patient, being, you know, because there are other companies that make other agendas and, you know, getting everyone aligned hasn't been easy. Um, I think the big uh, moment was last year when we got Apple on board, because that was the final. They, they, they came in later. Um, and then this year with Microsoft made support in, you know, for this new standard in, in um, uh, their new cloud platforms. So it's really the main momentum is starting to take up. And I, the, what, the word I have to the world would be, this is an open standard. If you are a software company, if you're a company, you know, that hosts some kind of service, either you make support for free, the free open source service that we provide, or you, you look at companies who provide this technology because it is it will help to protect your online identity if you're using google or if you're using microsoft or amazon or you know you i would let you it would encourage you to go into the, the security setting where they say you know choose two-factor authentication and um, there is an option there called security key so this is the complicated sort of the landscape that we you know we started YubiKey with Google became FIDO, then became an organization inside W3C that's called, there the name is WebAuthn, and then for consumers it's called Security Key. 
and this is un very unfortunate, and it's because there is several different organizations now working on the standards, and they all have named it differently. <laughs> so from a marketing perspective, people say, well, you know, what is it really? I think, you know, people like, you know, normal people will find, will understand it as a FIDO security keys, or uh, FIDO in general. Uh, and I would encourage everyone that if they don't actually have a bank or a, a company system that have support for it, that they go to their bank and, uh, and request it. And we saw that actually happening here in the US. It was a friend of mine who is a successful tech entrepreneur. And he called up his bank and said, why is my Facebook and my Google more secure than the place I have my money? I'm going to move all my money if you don't make support for the, the standard of these new keys. And eventually, you know, a year later, they now are moving it out to their first set of high net worth individuals. That's the first step. But, you know, that's that's how you can actually influence. Stina, we're nearly we're nearly there. But I want to bring it back to the point you made right at the very beginning of this interview. You said Internet security and the, and the kind of issues and, and risks around it is is one of the kind of top 10 issues that we should be confronting as a society. Ultimately, given what you've said there and the path we're on with standards and the role of big tech companies and how influential they could potentially be here, do you believe in an open and secure internet in the future? Do you think that is possible? Absolutely, absolutely. But it's not going to be easy, uh, But it, and it's not going to be completely secure. Um, and I often make a metaphor with the seat belt. Uh, in the 50s, we had uh, 10 times less cars on the street. And today, uh, the, the total, with 10 times more cars on the street, the total number of accidents is actually lower. It's because we started, I mean, during these years, security become something that was built into we got seat belts, we got crash zones, we got airbags. You know, you can't buy a car today if it isn't good security. And I believe that's where the internet will eventually go. You will buy devices that are more secure. You will get into services that are more secure. This is a patchwork today <laughs> uh, because it's sort of this very similar to where the cars were in the 50s. Cars in the 50s were not designed for security. They didn't have seat belts. It didn't have crash zone. They didn't have, you know, so I think I'm not saying it will be an ultimate security, ultimate, you know, uh, you know, it won't be an internet where nothing can happen, but people will be educated what to do. And there are two things. Actually, when people ask me, what can we do? 90% of all hacks out there are dependent on two very simple things that you and I can do. We can patch our software. We, we, we should actually not use old software and services because that aren't updated with, you know, we should always update our software, both on our phones and computers, because hackers always find those vulnerable vulnerabilities. So you, you want to be one step ahead. Um, and the, these large modern cloud platforms, they actually have their ducks together. <laughs> they continuously update. Um, then two-factor authentication is the, it is what can stop 80% of the hacks. 80% of all the um, threats or all the news that you read about with breaches are due to someone who stole, stole your login credentials because everything is now moving to the cloud and the cloud is open for everyone. 
<laughs> so if you don't stop that door or sort of don't have a good lock on that, um, um, you know, access to your online accounts, uh, then unfortunately, I don't think we will see a secure internet. But those two things are a very good start for a next more secure internet. And it's not going to be perfect security, but it's going to be far better. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe, and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher.